Well, okay, so today the subject is putting anger to death. Folks, I really don't know how long this series is going to go. I, I'm going to have to pray about that, but I know it'll go today, and at least one more, but we'll have to see from there. It's been, I had no idea when I started this how long it would go, and it's really been rich for me. I feel like I've benefited so much just by studying these various sins, because I'm guilty of them too, and I need to overcome every one of them as well. But this one's putting anger to death. Let's, let's ask God's help. Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon me and those who hear your word and those who receive your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me just to be a delivery boy, just bringing your message. And I pray that everyone would hear you. They would hear the faithful shepherd speaking today. I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to overcome the sin of anger because we know it doesn't honor you. So come now, Lord, and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. There was once a little boy who had a terrible temper problem. And his father told him, okay, the next time that you uh, blow your temper, you need to take this sack of nails go into the backyard and hammer one of those nails into the fence. So the very first day, he ended up hammering 23 nails into the fence. But as the days went by, he started to have to go hammering less and less nails because he figured it was, it was a lot harder work hammering those nails into the fence than it was just to hold his temper. And over time, he got to the point where he came to his dad and told him, Hey, Dad, I, I didn't have to hammer one single nail into the fence. And his dad said, okay, for every day from now on that you don't have to hammer a nail into the fence, you can pull out a nail. So weeks went by, a few months went by, and he finally came to his dad and he said, dad, I pulled out every single nail from the fence. They're all gone now. And the father said, well done, my son, but look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar just like those holes. Very wise father, I think. And you know, I think anger is a universal sin. It's one of those sins that everybody commits. And it very well may, may be the very first sin that we ever commit. I remember when our firstborn son, Josiah, was just a baby. He started to scream and cry, and nothing we could do would stop him from crying. We checked to make sure that he wasn't wet, that he had been fed, that he wasn't hungry, that we, his pen wasn't sticking him. You know, we did everything we could think of. Why in the world is this baby crying? And we were, you know, we were new at this. This was our firstborn. We didn't know what to do. And so we finally called the doctor, Dr. Kratzer. We lived in Fresno at the time. And he actually made a house call. He came to our house. He examined our son. And he said, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson, there's nothing wrong with your son. He's just mad. I thought, what? Really? <laughs> he's going on and on because he's mad? And that, I, I think he was right. And I think a lot of times babies will cry and they'll let out a blood curdling scream, not because they're, they need something, but just because they're mad about something. Anger happens to us at a very young age. If that little baby could take its chubby little fists and wrap it around our necks, he probably would choke and squeeze us until he got his own way. Sin is bound up in the heart of a child. We're not born innocent, 
and righteous, we're born sinful, with a sinful heart, and anger expresses itself in our lives very, very young. Um, now, some people externalize their anger, and some people internalize their anger. The people that externalize their anger, they get red in the face, they start shouting, maybe they scream, they might stomp their feet or throw things or slam their fist into the wall. But then other people internalize it. They get sullen and silent and let bitterness and unforgiveness fester in their hearts. Both of them are sinful. The one who internalizes his anger is no more righteous than the one who externalizes it. There's just different forms of expressing sinful anger. I tend to be the kind of guy who internalizes it. But that's just as sinful as a guy who externalizes it. So whether we explode in rage on the outside or whether we boil with resentment on the inside, we're all guilty of this sin. Now this morning we're going to look at the sin of anger under three different headings. And this is going to be a simple message today. We're going to talk about the definition of anger, the danger of anger, and the defeat of anger. That's it. We need to understand what it is. What's the definition of anger? Well, the dictionary definition is this. A strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. So anger at its root is a, a feeling, an emotion, a negative one, a strong feeling of annoyance. How many here have ever been strongly annoyed at someone or something? Or strongly displeased with someone? Or hostile towards someone? Well, we all have, haven't we? We've all experienced this. We need to recognize that anger, though, is not always sinful. It's not always sinful. Uh, Ephesians 4.26, Paul says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. So there's a righteous anger, and there's an unrighteous anger. If sin, or if anger was always sinful, then God and Jesus would be sinful. Because God gets angry, and Jesus got angry. Remember Mark chapter 3 when there was a man with a withered hand there in the synagogue and Jesus was present and the Pharisees were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day. And he called the man towards him. He says, is it, is it righteous for us to heal or to kill on the Sabbath day? And they kept quiet. And it says Jesus, angry, hardened because of their, their calloused hearts, said, stretch forth your hand. And of course, he healed the man of his withered arm. But there is an example where it's, the Bible expressly says Jesus was angry. We also find in the, uh, the temple, when they were making merchandise of the people of God, Jesus was angry. He took a quart of whips and he drove them all out of the temple. In Revelation chapter 6, the Bible talks about a time when people will cry to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. I mean, imagine, we, we don't think of the wrath of Christ, but it's a very biblical uh, attribute of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus is God, He partakes fully of all the attributes of deity. God expresses Himself not only in love, but in wrath. In Psalm 711, the Bible says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Every single day. In John 336, the Bible says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, 
But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul talks about sexual immorality and impurity. And then he says, And it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. In Revelation chapter 14, in verse 10, we read about those who partake of the mark of the beast. We read that that person will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of God's anger. And he'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So like it or not, this is the biblical description of God. God is love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, He is love. But He also expresses Himself in wrath. That is, holy anger, holy indignation against all evil. So if all anger is sinful, then God is sinful, and Jesus is sinful, and we know that's not true. So we know there is a holy anger, and there is an unholy anger. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So you've got the anger of man, and you've got the righteousness of God. The anger of man over here is sinful. The anger of God is holy. So how do we know if our anger is righteous or unrighteous? We have to ask this question. Am I mad at what makes God mad? Is God angry at what I'm angry about? Well, then it's righteous. If God's not angry about it, then it's unrighteous. Most of our anger, probably in the 90 percentile or more, I would say, I'm just guessing though, is unrighteous anger. It's sinful anger. And anger is a response it's a response against someone or something that endangers something that we love. And I'm going to say that again because we're going to go a little bit deeper here as we try to understand anger. It's a response against someone or something that endangers something that we love. This is why, parents, you get angry when someone speeds down your road at 50 miles an hour when your kids are playing in the front lawn. Because that person is endangering your child's life. If your ball, their ball goes into the street and they run after it, they could be killed by that person. And, it, you, and it's righteous for you to be angry at someone who is endangering your child. The problem is that we often get angry when we are the ones that are being endangered. And because we love ourselves far too much, this anger becomes sinful anger. We all love ourselves. We're all self-centered at heart. Selfish, we're born that way, and it's very slowly rooted out of us even after the new birth takes place. We, we labor and work and strive against this self-centeredness in our lives. So our sinful anger stems from pride, selfishness, and idolatry primarily. Pride, selfishness, and idolatry. So let me give you some examples. Someone gossips about you and you find out about it, and instantly... You flare up with anger. How dare they say that about me? What's at the root of that anger? Why are you angry? 
Well, because your reputation and your character is at stake, right? Someone's endangering, someone's threatening your reputation. What's at root is your pride in getting angry. Someone rebuffs you in a Facebook comment. You make a comment and someone challenges you and says, you know, that, that's not right. This is what's right. And you feel yourself being angry against that person. But why? Because it's, your, it's our pride. Well, how dare they say that about me? How dare they challenge me? It's our pride being lifted up. What about when someone inconveniences you? You're in the slow lane getting ready to turn off into a, a different highway and someone zips all the way up past the traffic and cuts in right in front of you and you go, what in the world are they doing? I've had to wait here for 10 minutes to get on this freeway. This guy just cuts right in and we get angry at him. Now, of course, it's not right for someone to gossip about you. It's not right for someone to say hurtful things or someone to inconvenience you. But my question is, why are we 10 times or 100 times or a 1,000 times more angry at that than the fact that 50 million babies have been murdered in the last 50 years, actually 44 years here in America through abortion. Why doesn't that make us far more angry than the fact that someone cuts in traffic in front of us? But it doesn't. It's because of our self-love. Why are we not more angry that God is mocked or belittled all over television shows, all over movies, at the office? Why doesn't that bother us more? Why are we not angered more that Christians are suffering and being persecuted and being killed throughout the world unjustly? We're much more concerned about the little things that happen to us than the huge things that are happening to somebody else, I fear. Shouldn't we love God and love our neighbor just as much as we love ourselves? That's what Jesus taught us to, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's another example. Sometimes in a marriage or a church, you have someone with a strong personality. And that person wants to call the shots. But if someone else challenges them, they f feel this anger rising up within them. Well, why? What's at the root of that anger? Selfishness. They're not getting their own way. Someone's trying to take away and oppose what they want to do. What if you're not recognized at work? for something that you've done. You're not recognized and you feel angry about that. What's at the root of that anger? See, it's, n it's not enough just to say, okay, yeah, I was angry. We have to peel away the, the cover. Let's go underneath and let's see what, what's the reason behind the anger. And probably in that situation, it's because we love ourselves too much. What about when your children disobey and you become angry? Why are you angry when they disobey? This is a good one. <laughs> a lot of times we're angry because they're embarrassing us. Especially if they act up in church. When those, you know, people are going to see, look at those children. Boy, their parents must really be lousy parents. Look at how they're acting. It's not because we're concerned about them and about them obeying God. It's because their actions are reflecting on us. And so we're embarrassed by that. Um, we f fear that our reputation as godly Christians is somehow going to be spoiled or inconvenienced by their behavior. You see, anger is so often when you, when you uncover it and look at it, it's really ugly. And, and it's really kind of embarrassing to actually see why we get angry.
Because it's not why God gets angry. (laughs) Why did Jesus get angry? In Mark chapter 3, he got angry because the Pharisees were more concerned about enforcing their interpretation of the Sabbath law than they were about this man who was crippled and suffering being healed. That made Jesus angry. The injustice that people were doing to another human being. When he cleansed the temple, why did he get angry? Because they were taking God's holy temple and they were changing it from a place of prayer to a den of thieves, making it a house of merchandise. Jesus didn't get angry because of selfishness or self-centeredness or because of pride or because of idolatry. He got angry because God's honor was being endangered or injustices were being done to his fellow men. And that's really what should anger us. So let's move on and talk about the danger of anger. Now that we've kind of explored what it's all about, what anger is. What's, what's the danger of anger? There are temporal dangers. Remember last week we talked about lust and we said there's temporal dangers to lust and there's also eternal dangers. The same thing is true about anger. If a person is constantly angry, losing their temper, they can run the risk of depression, drug or alcohol abuse, heart disease. In fact, studies have shown that within two hours of an angry outburst, the chances of a heart attack or stroke skyrocket for that person. So those are very real dangers. That's really not what I want to focus on. I want to talk to you about the spiritual danger of anger, of the sin of anger. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend a little bit of time at the very last two verses of Ephesians 4. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now notice in verse 31, halfway through the verse, he lists anger. But he lists five other words that are really manifestations, various manifestations of anger. Those five other words are bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, and malice. Now let's think about each one of them for just a moment. Bitterness. This is a smoldering resentment, which is often manifested in an unwillingness to forgive someone. So bitterness is anger turned inward. And then we have wrath. Wrath is a burst of rage or a violent passion or a temper tantrum if it's a small child. So wrath is anger turned outward. Bitterness, anger turned inward. Wrath, anger turned outward. What about clamor? Clamor is a word that we just don't... I don't think I've ever used that word in in my dialogue with somebody else. But the word clamor means a loud outcry of anger, bickering, or shouting down of an opponent. So clamor is anger turned loud. And then we have slander. Slander is using insulting language or abusive speech. So slander is anger turned verbal. And then the last one is malice. Malice is wishing evil on somebody else. Spite. So this is anger turned vengeful. 
So these words help us understand. They describe anger. Anger turned inward, outward, loud, verbal, and vengeful. And then when he's done talking about the the negative impact of anger in a person's life, he says in verse 32, in contrast, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. In verse 31, he says, put away anger and all of the various expressions of anger, like bitterness, wrath, malice, clamor, slander. Put all those away. Instead of those things in your life, put on kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. Now that tells me something. It tells me that if we're not really careful, anger can turn into unforgiveness. Because in verse 31, he says, put anger off. In verse 32, he says, put forgiveness on. As if to say, if you don't put anger to death in your life, this is a very real danger. It can develop in unforgiveness and holding a grudge. In fact, I've, I've heard people say, I will never forgive that person for what they did to me. Anger turns into this resolute purpose that I will never forgive somebody. I'm not going to budge. I'll never forgive them. Now, if anger turns into unforgiveness, what's at stake? Yes. Very, very severe heart problems. Um, Do you remember the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18 of the man who owed his master just this astronomical sum of money, and he begged the master to have mercy on him, and he would repay it. And so the master forgave him his debt. And then he went out and found somebody that owed him a far less sum, and the guy prayed. He said, please, please, give me some time. I'll repay it. And he wouldn't allow him to. He threw him into prison. And at the end of that that parable, it's Matthew 18, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I believe verse 34, where it talks about being handed over to the torturers until he has repaid all that was owed, I think that's a reference to hell. I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong, but that it, he doesn't come out and give the word hell, but it sure seems like that's what he's talking about. And he says, my father's going to do that to you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. Now, if this was the only verse, maybe we, maybe that interpretation's wrong, but that, that isn't the only verse where Jesus talks so seriously about forgiveness. And this, um, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, at the end of the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, this is Matthew 6:14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. How many people who God does not forgive go to heaven? None. No one can go to heaven that's not forgiven by God. Jesus said if you don't forgive others... God the Father is not going to forgive you. In other words, you're going to miss out on the kingdom of heaven if your life is characterized by unforgiveness. See, that's the real eternal 
spiritual danger that anger poses. Because if we don't fight it, if we don't battle it, it can easily turn into this settled, resolute unforgiveness. If someone hurts us, someone causes us pain, and we just decide, I'm never going to forgive that person. According to Jesus Christ, God won't forgive you. That's serious, isn't it? That's very, very serious. That's what's at stake. Folks, it, your holding on to unforgiveness is not worth losing your soul. Would you agree? Is, is it worth losing your soul for all eternity just to hold on to this grudge? Of course not. So I would urge you, if there's someone like that in your life that has caused you pain and suffering and, and you're just holding on to it, let it go. Just cancel the debt. Beware of allowing a root of bitterness to spring up and defile you. There's the danger. Now let's, let's talk about defeating anger. How do you defeat it? Well, I've, I'm going to give you five different things to think about, to pray about, and hopefully to, to apply. The first one is look beneath the surface and discover why you're angry. Most of the time we don't do this. Most of the time I don't do this. But I think this is super helpful. If you feel angry, try to figure out why you're angry. In Genesis chapter 4, both Cain and Abel brought an offering to God. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. And the Bible says Cain got really angry about that. And God came to Cain and he said, Cain, why are you angry? And whenever we get angry, just imagine God asking you the same question. Brian, why are you angry? We have to give him an answer. Why am I angry? And you might say, well, I don't know. Well, we need to take some time to think about it. I think if we think about it, we'll probably be able to figure out just that's what is at the root of that anger. So we have to go under the surface. Is it my pride that has been wounded? Is it my selfishness? That I was inconvenienced in some way by someone or something? Is it something that I love more than I should that has been threatened or endangered? That I, I shouldn't love that thing so much? So we, we have to put our finger on exactly what the issue is at stake. Secondly, once we figured that out, repent of loving that thing more than God. Because that's really what's happening. We're loving that thing in our life more than we love God. Our loves are disordered. Idolatry happens when you take a good thing in your life and make it an ultimate thing. Any good thing in your life that God has blessed you with, if you make that an ultimate thing, make that your ultimate love, that becomes an idol. And when, you, when someone threatens that thing in your life and you become angry, it's sinful because it's not God's anger, it's your own anger. It's sinful anger. So if once we've discovered what the issue is that lies underneath it, we need to repent in a heartfelt way before God that we have become angry over something that God's not angry about. So we confess the real sin and we turn from it in our hearts. Number three change our attitude toward the person that made you angry. See, over here in Matthew chapter 4, I think that's what Paul is telling them to do. Put away all anger and slammer and bitterness and wrath and malice. 
And then he says, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. So not only are we to put away this anger, this sinful anger, but then we are to put on these, we're to cultivate kindness. So once you you change your attitude towards that person, change your attitude towards instead of being angry at them or malicious towards them or spiteful or whatever it is or bitter, you're kind, tender-hearted, forgiving towards that person. We need to realize that really that person didn't make us angry. We tend to think, well, that person just made me angry. They caused me to be angry. No, the real cause for the anger is what's going on in your heart. That person or that situation might have been the occasion for your anger, but not the cause of it. If there was not something wrong inside you, it would never flare up into sinful anger. So the cause is deep within. It's a fallenness that we are born with, that we inherit from our father Adam. We're born broken. We're born with this nature that's selfish and self-centered and is prone to idolatry. That's the real cause, and we need to remember that at the very beginning. So no matter what someone else has done to us, we've got to change our attitude and replace hostility with kindness, callousness with tenderheartedness, forgiveness with unforgiveness. Now what do we do if the person that made us angry is God? Have you ever been angry at God before? (laughs) A lot of people get angry at God, and they stay angry at God. I mean, they'll tell you, I'm I'm angry with God. That's why I'm not going to go to church. That's not why I'm going to worship Him. I'm angry at Him. They're angry because they feel God has done something to them that they didn't deserve. Or maybe to someone they love, like their parents, their mom, or their dad, or their child. Maybe a, a child dies young for some illness, and, and they say, God, that, that, that's just, how could you do that? How could you let that happen? That's, and and they, this bitterness towards God wells up within their heart, and it stays there. What do we do with anger against God? Pop psychologists will tell you, well, just vent your anger at God. Just tell him you're angry at him. You know, God's a big boy. He can handle it. Just tell him. I'm not suggesting that you stuff these feelings, if they're real feelings, towards God, but I am suggesting that you realize, even though you have these feelings, they're not, they're sinful feelings. Because if you're angry at someone, you're making a moral judgment about that person. You're saying that person is guilty of wrongdoing towards me. And that's why I'm angry at them. You're accusing that person of having done something unfairly to you or unjustly to you or mean or wicked or wrong to you and that's what you're saying about god when you say that about god you are disbelieving what he has revealed about himself god reveals to us in his word that he's good no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly he causes all things to work together for good when we accuse god of wrongdoing we're taking a position that's in opposition to his word and we're believing a lie instead of the truth so if you're angry with god you believe god owes you a better deal in life or he shouldn't have done what he did we're the ones that are are wrong because we're not seeing accurately god is infinitely wise he sees every detail from the beginning to the end God knows what is the right thing to do in every situation. We don't. We have such a limited perspective. And so 
We need to confess this anger that we're feeling towards God as sin to him. So, Lord, I, I know this is sinful anger. I, I know that you are righteous in what you have done. I, Lord, I'm feeling this way. I just confess to you I ought not. Lord, please help me just to release these things and just trust your word and to believe you. you know, that's the kind of way that we should deal with anger if it's against God himself. The fourth thing that we can do about our anger is put our trust in the justice of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says in verse 19, Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Instead of reacting in revenge, he says, never do that. Leave room for God's wrath. Okay? There is a day coming when God is going to exercise his justice. The reason we get angry is because we think that person shouldn't get away with what they just did. Right? They hurt us and they shouldn't have done that. It's not just for them to do that. And so we want to take justice into our own hands and retaliate. If we believe in the justice of God, we don't have to do that. Because God himself is going to do that. You may think, well, that won't make me feel as good as if I do that. <laughs> we have to believe that God is going to right all wrongs. There's coming a day, judgment day, when God is going to right all wrongs. When God's going to have the last word. When all the things that happened to innocent people, the murder of innocent people, God is going to mete out punishment for that particular sin. So I believe if we trust in God's day of justice that's coming, it's going to help us be able to release anger because God's going to take care of that. I don't have to be worried about it. I'll leave that to God. And then fifthly, trust in the sovereignty of God. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? His father gave him this um, many-colored coat, and his brothers got jealous over that, and they were angry about it. And they eventually sold him into slavery to get rid of him. And there Joseph is taken away to a foreign country where they speak a foreign language. Uh, he ends up serving Potiphar. And then he's unjustly accu accused of uh, raping Potiphar's wife, and he's thrown into prison for 12 years. I mean, the guy really had a bad rap, right? He, all these bad things happened to him. But the interesting thing about that is he, we never read about Joseph becoming bitter towards the people that were doing this in his life. And I think the clue to help us understand why is his own words in Genesis 45, 8. He tells his brothers, It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. And then in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See, if you really believe that God is in charge of all these painful things that happen in your life, it's going to help you 
to release them because you don't have to be angry against those instruments that are bringing the pain because you know that God is overruling those things for your good. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, we believe that God allows people to sin against us for a reason. God allowed people to sin against his son. God allowed people to murder his son. God was in control of that. It says it was the predestined plan. According to God's predestined plan and foreknowledge, he allowed these godly men by the hands of wicked hands to, to put him on the death and to slay his son. God did that, and Jesus, knowing that, just kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. He didn't react out of anger. He didn't react out of vengeance to them. He just entrusted himself to God. So if we believe in the sovereignty of God, it's going to help us to release anger. Do you remember the situation when David was, his son Absalom uh, rebelled. He rose up against his father and drove him out of Jerusalem. And as David is leaving Jerusalem, there's this man named Shimei who's cursing David and throwing stones at him. And Abishai says, let me go and just uh, lop off his head right now. And David says, no, the Lord has done it. The Lord is speaking through him. See, he saw God behind everything that was taking place in his life. And because he saw the sovereignty of God in that situation, he didn't react out of anger, but he just, he just absorbed it. So how do we deal with anger? We have to look beneath the surface and figure out why we're angry. That's probably the biggest one. It's the thing we probably don't do, that we need to really analyze and think about. Then we repent of that thing, whatever it is that we find. We change our attitude towards the person that made us angry, even if that person happens to be God himself. We trust in the justice of God, and we trust in the sovereignty of God. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. These sins that he's calling us to put to death can only be put to death by faith. We put them to death as we believe what God has revealed about himself and his word. And so all of us, let's commit ourselves to fighting anger when we, we sense it inside of us. We, we, we feel it rising up. Let's fight it in Jesus' name. Lord, would you please grant grace to us this morning? That, Lord, this is a sin we all face. Every one of us. We don't want to react in sinful ways, Lord, but too often we find ourselves doing that. We pray, Lord, for victory. Lord, would you remind us to take the lid off and see what's going on underneath? Give us grace to repent, Lord. Lord, above all things, we want, we want you, we want the Lord Jesus to be magnified in our lives. We want others to see him. And so let us follow in his steps. Let us be angry and sin not. In Jesus' name, amen.